Sex Within Marriage podcast. My name is JD and I blog over at uncoveringintimacy.com. And today we're answering May's questions from our anonymous have a question page. As always, these are asked anonymously without any contact information, which means we have no context beyond what is shared in the question. So today we're going to tackle how we look at sex, why we have refractory periods, whether or not it's common for a husband to have to ask his wife if she had an orgasm, uh, a husband who is secretly purchasing sex toys, and lastly, a widow who wants to know what happened to her husband who was cremated. Before we jump into all of that, I want to let you know about a couple of Father's Day sales items this weekend in case you're still looking. The first is that Dennis, my friend over at couplesmassagecourses.com, is running the first sale he's done in over a year. And it might be his last as he seems to be moving away from doing sales in general. I've been talking for years about how learning to massage is amazing for your marriage, and he's the guy I learned how to give a great massage from. Seriously, if you want to learn how to make your spouse melt in your hands, check it out. Also for Father's Day, all of our digital products are going to be 25% off in our shop starting now until the end of the weekend. Just use the coupon code Father's Day without any spaces uh, when you're checking out. And with that, let's get to the questions. So question one is, hi JD, it seems to me that the predominant framework Christians use to teach, think about, and discuss sex is whether or not things are right and wrong. Though I acknowledge the importance of righteousness at the core of Christian doctrine, I seriously doubt whether looking at sex from a right or wrong perspective promotes the joyful, liberating, and exhilarating sexuality God intended. What do you think? Should we reset the way we look at sex? Kind regards. Um, no. I think we should reset the way we look at right and wrong. I find most people approach this with a very legalistic attitude, sort of like children trying to figure out how far they can push before they get in trouble. Uh, many people get upset at me when I state that I believe something is a sin because they want it and I just told them that they can't have their cookie. Uh, and instead, I think we should look at right and wrong for what they are, not the ar arbitrary rules of a crazy deity, but rather supposed to show us when our actions are likely to hurt us or others. And this happens when you become an adult. Your parents' rules about eating dinner before dessert are no longer tyrannical. They're an expression of love towards us because they want us to grow up to be healthy. And the rule about doing your schoolwork before you get to play isn't mean. It's there to establish productive habits in life. And for some reason, I find that many Christians kind of never grow up in this sense. They still see God's rules just as a list of things that you have to do or else you don't get into heaven. Uh, actually, most people look at it as these are a list of things you can't do or else you'll get to hell. And they miss the point entirely. Uh, it's not the works that gets you into heaven or avoids hell. Rather, the works cultivate a character and it's that character, um, the one that takes responsibility for our sins and recognizes the need for a savior, that ultimately is what decides whether or not we'll be in heaven. In short, we sort of get to choose whether or not we want to be there. So God's laws are there to help us grow up to make the right choice. But I think they also serve a dual purpose for helping us here in our earthly existence as well. The rule of no sex before marriage do teach you self-control and patience, which are important for that godly character. 
but they also give your family the best chance at happiness and success. And to be clear, I am not a proponent of the prosperity gospel at all, but I do believe that God wants what's best for us. And all the research shows that having children outside of marriage is statistically wrought with problems that affect your family, health, stability, education, income, and civil lawfulness. So the right or wrong mentality isn't incorrect from my point of view. Uh, it's what the right or wrong implies. Doing right is in your best interest, not only in a theological, quote-unquote, headed towards heaven sense, but also in a down-to-earth, be-a-good-spouse, friend, employee, or employer, citizen, and everything else way. And along with that comes that sense of, um, what did you call it? A joyful, liberating, and exhilarating sexuality. Because when you are following the rules, then you get to experience those things without the negative consequences. All right, question two is, what do you think was God's reason for giving men a refractory period? Even if I'm out of semen momentarily, it doesn't mean I don't want to go again with my wife. I, I don't know exactly. It could be to make us go and do other things. Uh, something I've mentioned before is having like a day of sex and we managed to pull these off from time to time. In short, they're basically a day of orgasm denial or edging. You have a lot of sex, but no or few orgasms. And you know what happens? You don't want to get out of bed. You know, there's a lot of, you know, we should get breakfast. I'm getting hungry, which somehow turns into more sex. And then a half an hour later, the conversation repeats with the same outcome. And eventually you manage to drag yourself out of bed in time to eat breakfast about a half an hour before lunchtime. And then you find excuses to sneak back upstairs without the kids being suspicious. And in short, I think refractory periods force us to recognize other priorities in life. If every day was like that, then we'd get nothing done. And men tend to be more single-minded owing to the fact, I think, that we are missing part of our corpus callosum, which is a part of your brain that connects all the pieces together. So, specifically, connects the right hemisphere with the left hemisphere. So, I think adding a limiter to men in this way makes the most sense, along the same lines that adding a limitations to women's ability to bear children makes sense. Um, I think women are more likely to recognize that there are other things that need attention, whereas men prefer to finish the task at hand. But if the task never gets finished, well, then you're stuck. I mean, I don't think we'd have sex until we died, but I do think that we'd be less productive. But that's just a guess based on my own experiences. I'd love to know what your guess is. Uh, if you want, head over to the blog, post it in the comment section below, and uh, I'd love to know people's thoughts. All right, question number three writes, this question may have been posed before, but I will present it again. Is it common for a wife to tell her husband if she has had an orgasm? Also, is it not proper for a husband to ask his wife if she has had an orgasm or orgasms? I have heard that this is something that you don't ask. So I don't have any stats on this, but I do know it's not abnormal at all. It's also not something that happens in every marriage. For some women, it's very easy to tell if they have an orgasm. They make a particular noise, a scream or a moan, or their legs shake uncontrollably, or their thighs clamp down, or their back arches, or they pass out, or they become very sensitive to any genital touching, or they just announce that they're having an orgasm. And for others, it's more subtle, and you have to be able to listen for those small shifts in breathing or movement or maybe you can feel their internal contractions. And for some women, 
sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not depending on their state of arousal and their surroundings, like could the kids hear or where they are in their cycle. So if your wife is the type that makes it very obvious that she's had an orgasm, well, then I think asking is either just being plainful, playful or annoying. Uh, if on the other hand, hers are far more subtle, then I think it's reasonable to ask. Internally, it may have seemed like a monumental occurrence for her, but if she doesn't telegraph that well, then how are you to know? I'll be honest, I've had to ask from time to time. Occasionally, they just sort of sneak by while others are more obvious. And that said, she may not appreciate the question. She may feel that you should be able to pick up on the subtle things. And this is a pretty common argument between men and women, not just about orgasms or sex. Um, just that women have a tendency to pick up on more subtle things and they tend to feel that men should as well. Also, after an orgasm, she may feel more vulnerable and having to answer a question about sex is uncomfortable in that state of mind. So there are some reasons why it might be common or appropriate in some marriages and maybe not in others. All right, question four. What do I do if my wife constantly yells at me? For example, today I was looking for a remote that was in a box and I couldn't find it. I wasn't saying anything and decided to stop looking for it. She absolutely blew up on me and took the box and dumped it all over the floor where it still sits. I really don't do anything to upset her, and I guess you can say I'm walking on eggshells censoring my thoughts and words. I just can't be myself without her thinking I'm upset or something. When I say something to her, she gets extremely defensive and basically throws a fit. This really hurts me emotionally, and I can't take it anymore. So... I would highly recommend the book Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. Uh, it's a great book. I recommend it to a lot of people. It will help you set up boundaries while helping keep you emotionally safe, as well as show you how to continue to show her love even when she's not being loving without being an enabler of that behavior. After that, I'd read Boundaries in Marriage by Henry Cloud and John Townsend um, to give you even more of a framework but I'd read them in that order. A lot of people recommend boundaries or boundaries in marriage, but uh, I find that some people who jump straight to boundaries get some weird ideas about what a healthy boundary is. Um, it's written for a very specific audience, and if you are not in that audience, it can actually end up enabling bad behavior. So I've seen as many marriages ruined by that book as helped by it without the proper context and mindset. Uh, Keep Your Love On will help you establish that proper mindset and context first. One idea one of our supporters had in the forum is that the next time that she yells at you, just say calmly and quietly so that she has to stop yelling and listen. Um, just say, please you lower your voice and stop yelling at me. And that's great advice because it points out right away what she's doing and uh, she has to stop in order to actually hear you. Now, I think if she continues, then respond in the same voice and tone, you know, I'm going to go do X. And if you want to have a civil conversation, let me know and then go find something to do. Um, this might drive her absolutely crazy because she's going to be confronted with her yelling in a very clear and direct way. And she'll either accept the conviction and change or she'll double down and get angry so as to protect her ego. Either way, though, I would stand my ground and continue, because otherwise you're just going to experience the same behavior over and over again, because why would she change if you're never going to push back? So that gives you something to start on right away, and i check out those books because they can help you uh, build a better framework and learn how to set up boundaries so that 
you can protect yourself emotionally and figure out how to deal with it. Question number five is, I've noticed that my husband has purchased several large sex toys this year. He knows I don't like sex toys and he hasn't brought it up to me in two years. He has sworn to me that he's no longer watching porn and he can't remember the last time he watched it. However, the most recent sex object is a lard penis that is inserted into his rectum and clamps onto his testicles to apparently hold it in place and then vibrates. It is rather large and I'm way past uncomfortable. I just want to toss the thing, but I know I have to be the one to bring up this matter. May I ask, do other men want a penis in their bum? I'll be honest, I'm suspicious about the porn habit actually being done. I'm not saying he's definitely still watching it, just saying that increasing masturbation habits as well as pushing further into edgier play alone without sharing it with you is very suspicious. Um, As my kids would say, that's sus. As for men wanting anal stimulation, I would refer you to my post on pegging as I think that might answer a lot of questions regarding why they want it. I also have a survey I ran quite a while on anal play and anal sex, which might help answer the question of do other men want this kind of activity. But if it is due to porn, then I'd guess it has more to do with the mental stimulation than the physical stimulation. And then we're into different territory that definitely needs a conversation. All right, last question. When my husband died, he wanted to be cremated, but no one ever told me what goes on with that. And how do I know when or did he go to the other side? How do I know if his spirit is with me? So probably the reason no one told you is that Christians get very confused by this. And the majority of Christians can't keep their theology straight when it comes to what happens when you die. For example, the mainstream Christian narrative is that when you die, you go straight to heaven. But then they have an issue when the Bible tells us that Christ is still preparing a place for us, and also that you won't be resurrected until he returns, and also that Judgment Day hasn't happened yet, so you're getting a reward prior to Judgment, and also that you won't have your new body until after Judgment Day and Christ returns. So there's quite a few issues with that theology. And I know a lot of people are going to get upset by me saying that, but you can see this when you go to funerals and the pastor will tell you in the same sermon that the deceased is here with you now and that he's in heaven and that he's in the grave awaiting the second coming. And those can't all be true. In fact, only one of them can be. And according to the Bible, when we die, regardless of the means or the state of our body, we await Christ's second coming. Uh, Revelation 20 verse 13 tells us that uh, on judgment day, the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. So all this happens on judgment day when Christ returns. Um, Nothing happens before that point. And if you want to be walked through all the verses, including the ones mainstream Christianity will use to try and quote unquote prove their narrative, I suggest you check out the post I wrote called What Happens When You Die. Um, like I said, it upsets a lot of people, but I've yet to have anyone actually manage to refute it using the Bible. In short, rest assured that neither cremation nor anything else will stop our creator from saving those who believe in Christ as their savior. And your husband is exactly where he's supposed to be. And that's it for today. As always, you can submit your own questions on our Have a Question page, or you can email me at j at uncomfortingintimacy.com. All the links I mentioned will be in the show notes and on the blog. 
And don't forget to check out the Father's Day sales if you're still looking for a gift that will knock your husband's socks off. And husbands, don't be afraid to unsubtly hint at the massage gift. It's great for both of you, and at 20% off, it's probably cheaper than a few date nights. But it will last you the rest of your marriage, so it's well worth it. As always, thank you to all of our supporters who help us on our supporters forum, answering these questions and discussing them and kicking ideas around. Uh, They make writing these a lot easier and it gives us a much wider perspective. If you're interested in seeing the questions as they come in, instead of having to wait a month for me to get a podcast together and answer them, then consider helping support this ministry. Even $5 a month helps us pay for things like hosting and all the tools that we use to keep this podcast up and running and the blog and everything. And it also gives you access to our forum where you get a sneak peek at some of the behind the scenes stuff and look at new resources coming out. And you get to read the first drafts of all the posts that come out before anybody else gets a chance to. And as I said, you get to contribute to the conversation. So if that's of interest to you, check out uncoveringintimacy.com. There's a link in the menu for donating. And don't forget to like and subscribe and rate and review and whatever the buttons are on whatever platform you're listening to this on. I post all the reviews that we get in on Instagram because they make me smile. So if you want to read them, you can check them out there. And that's it for today. See ya. See ya.